Welcome back, everyone. This is the Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. And I'm Brendan Porter. We are the Photog Adventurers. You can find us at photogadventures.com. You can follow along with all of our successes, our failures, and learn with us or learn from our mistakes. And we're happy to take you along for the ride. So we went out to the knolls out in the salt flats. Well, just outside the salt flats, about a 40-minute drive from, I'd say, downtown-ish area, maybe even close to an hour, actually. So the landscape contains a lot of mud flats, salt flats, and gypsum sand dunes. So much of the land in that area is owned by the Bureau of Land Management, and it's maintained as an off-highway vehicle park. So people go there, and they drive their ATVs and their, and their SUVs, and it's kind of cool though. You can just ride around and do whatever you want, ride over everything, and have fun out there. And yeah, it's just a big desert, but uh, there's nothing you can damage. So it's one of the cool things about Utah, I think, is that you can just—they've got these designated areas. You can just go out in there and dink around, and no one cares. It's cool. Yeah, honestly, it could be a place where people put a big red tape and say no crossing or just look. But no, they let you just drive all over it. I love that. The Goblin Valley will find that as a similar place where you can just go and climb on everything. So why did we want to come out here to the knolls? Why the knolls? Mostly, entirely, astrophotography. When you look at the dark site finder that I recommended in an earlier podcast, you'll see that this is outside of any of the colored areas. So light pollution is down to nothing. The most light pollution you'll find is on your horizon, depending on where you're pointing your camera. You'll see the light pollution of those areas miles away. This is 80 miles away from Salt Lake Valley, so we get some light from it. But most of the light in that area that we caught where the Milky Way was over was from a small little industrial area. I was trying to figure out what it was for, but it has no information on it. So there's a small little industrial site that's a few miles away that lights up the area a bit. Other than that, it's a beautiful, crisp, detailed Milky Way. So we went there for astrophotography, and I had seen on Google Panoramio, on Google Earth, I saw a picture where a guy had actually caught both of the knolls underneath the arch of the Milky Way. They were connected by the arch of the Milky Way in his wide-angle shot. So I really wanted to get out there and recreate the shot. So I rented a wide-angle lens. I was stoked to get out there. So stoked that I forgot to tell Brendan about it in the first place. And so I went out on my own. It didn't work out that morning, but luckily I went out again with Brendan. Yeah, when you called me or contacted me, I guess you did it through text, but when you contacted me the second night you were going up there, I was like, what? You went there last night? You went driving right past my house and you <laughs> didn't call me. Okay. Her. I guess I was afraid to contact you at the middle of the night for the first time since I hadn't taken time to do that mm, beforehand. Still, hurt feelings here. I had some hurt feelings. I've been working ever since to try and recover from the rudeness of that day. So rude. <laughs> so what did we have to do to find our composition when we went out there? This location, being the edge of the salt flats, still more sand dunes than salt flats, we get out of our car in pitch black, and we see that the Milky Way has a full arch visible. The, the galactic core, the bulge, is over the horizon and visible. So we want to get out where the knolls are underneath it. So we just start walking up and down over dunes. I perhaps was wearing too heavy of clothes and equipment on me at the time because I was getting exhausted. Six, eight inches of sand that I was trotting through. It was making me sweat and exhausted just about five seconds into the hike, I swear. Now, I wasn't in terribly good shape, as you guys can see, so I wasn't going to be 
going through that feeling like nothing was happening, but man, I should have had less on me. So we're trudging through the sand, getting out there, and we kept looking behind us. Okay, here's the knolls. Where's the Milky Way arch? No, it's not working out. Let's keep going further. Eventually, we realized that the full arch was already on the outside of both of these knolls. It wasn't matching up. We needed to be there earlier in the day in order for that arch to be lower on the horizon and touching those knolls. The more distance we got from that, it put the Milky Way further outside of it. The only way to get them kind of touching the knolls were to be kind of between the knolls. And then that put the Milky Way touching them, but on a very wide angle, almost a right to us, to the left of us wide angle, where we'd get this really distorted view of the sky. And that wasn't going to work out for our composition. So we gave up on that, gave up on trying to get it to touch the knolls, and we kept walking out further to see where we can get a composition that we liked. Yeah, it was hard because the Milky Way rise at a similar speed as like the moon rises. So even though this was a new moon night and there was no moon, um, the Milky Way still can move just as fast as that. And so it's, it, so it moves on you. So you got to get to the location you're trying to get at. And this is after a few times going out. Now, obviously, I didn't know that first coming out here. You picture the stars as being something static in the sky every night, and mm. then it kind of moves. I mean, we know star trails existed. Right. But you don't think about how fast that spin of the Earth moves those stars in the sky, including the Milky Way, that you spend an hour fiddling with your camera. That Milky Way is no longer in that location you saw it, and it's way off your composition. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting how that happens. And so you, it's all about timing. Just like with most photography, timing is like oh, 80% of, you know, what you're doing. So Yeah, seriously, ever since that trip, we've been trying to go back with more time ahead of it. And it was just not quite working out. We haven't gotten back there. But we have a plan for next year to get out there early in the year and try it again. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast. When we come back, we'll talk more about the stories of what happened when we were out there and talk about why it didn't work out for me my first night. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. So why did I have to go twice? What did I do wrong the first time? Yes, tell us. (laughs) Let me tell you guys how it feels. So I knew I was going out to this location that was far away. I wasn't so worried about that. But as I got closer and closer, I just felt alone. It felt dark. Mm -hmm. It got darker and darker. I could see the Milky Way out of my window. But the foreground, no city lights, no signposts, no billboards with advertisements. I felt like I was going somewhere that if anything bad happened to me, no one was going to really know about it until the morning commute when people are heading into work. I felt like, you know what, I'm going to die out here or live. That's the choice. I'm either going to have no accident happen or I'm going to have an accident happen and die. Luckily, there are a lot of semi-trailers going by, and so the truckers could find me. I just got to hope for the one trucker that's not going to make me his new friend, his new friend that he takes along with him. Yes, those can be scary, too. (laughs) So I pulled off on my exit on Exit 41, following my Google Earth map, and I felt like it was taking me somewhere it was never meant to take me. I'm like, this is not the right place. Well, just keep following the road. I turned off. I kept going. The road turned from pavement to a graded road that was vibrating that had holes and potholes all over the place. So I'm dodging and weaving these, feeling like, what am I doing? I have work in three hours. 
why did I come out here alone? Why did I come out here alone? So I'm, I'm already on edge. Mm-hmm. I'm already a little nervous. And I pull up to what is finally the parking lot, the Knolls that I recognized in Google Earth. So I'm like, oh, good, I found it. And yet there's a camper there. Mm. We're talking a, a, a small bed truck that has a camper on it. And I'm thinking, who the heck is out here? It's cold. It's April. Why are people out here camping, especially what looks like by himself? Creepy camper. Mm. (laughs) That's exactly where my mind went. Mm. I thought, okay, I've probably woken up whoever it is because I've driven in here after having no one else being in here, and it's 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I pull up to the spot on the opposite end of the parking lot from him, turn around, turn off the car, and then it hit me. The black, the dark. I actually got scared immediately i thought oh no i can't see anything the person over there who's sleeping whether he is nice or a murderer he can see me and i can't see him i felt like people were running at the car because they knew i was momentarily blinded and they were running at the car right then so i i hurried and rolled down my window where i could see through it better (sighs) no one was there no one was looking no zombies no zombies okay (laughs) it took me a couple minutes to get my courage up so that i could step out of the vehicle But honestly, guys, if you go out there on your own for ash photography, you will feel this vulnerability, this fear, this, hey, we were raised in a light world, a world where night comes and it's just a different color of light. It's not dark. It's just a different color of light. You get out there in nature by yourself and it's quiet. You're thinking, hey, the coyotes are hungry. Hey, this mountain lion is going to find me on this camping, this uh, hiking trail. Or this guy, he's looking for someone to put his knife into. And I'm here for him now. You're going to think about all these irrational fears that are going to come up for no reason. And so I turned off my lights. I sat there thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? (sighs) Relax, Aaron. I told myself, relax. You got to be a man. You're going to be the scary guy, the scary guy that comes out of the bushes for no good reason. What are you doing outside at night, dude? I'm that scary guy. I got a camera. I'm going to take some pictures of the Milky Way. So I finally manned up got outside, set my tripod up, and here's where it went wrong. It went wrong because I arrived with only about a half an hour of time before it rose from regular darkness to astronomical dawn, where it's a little bit brighter. And I thought, you know what, even if it goes into that time, it's long before the sun rises, I'll be fine. This was my first experience of having the Milky Way disappear on me. Mm. I'm setting up my tripod, setting my camera. I finally get out there to a shot where I want to capture, and I'm only really capturing to focus my camera. I'm not actually set up on a composition yet. I just wanted to focus my camera. I capture a picture. That'll go way too fuzzy. Fix, fix, fix. Take a picture again. When I zoom in and make sure my camera's in focus and I've made it all sharp, I do feel like I have it in a good position. But when I take a picture, then I can go back and look at it zoomed in, even more zoomed in than the digital zoom that it gives you in a live view. I can see if it really is in focus or not. And I was finally happy with my focus. I've taken two pictures. My third picture I took just to see how my composition looked. It's so dark. I had no idea what my foreground element was. I found out that the Milky Way was gone. Not entirely gone, but it went from where it was out of focus, out of focus, in focus to my absolute greatest focus shot. And the Milky Way was about 50% gone. You could tell it was there but it was practically a blue sky behind it. And I thought, that it, that was it. I spent time being scared. I spent time setting up my tripod and camera, and I missed it. Mm. So tip number one, bring your camera ready to go. If you're going somewhere that takes two hours to drive to, don't lose time setting up your camera when you get there. Good tip. Yeah. So 
that was what went wrong and why I had to come back and bring Brendan. And honestly, bringing back Brendan to that same spot, I never once, for, I never once feared for a murderer, even though Brendan's not exactly the uh, fighter and he's not exactly the guy who's ten times bigger than me. He's taller than me, but I don't. I do have a, I do have a knife of my own. Though. <laughs> so beware. So for some reason, I'm avoiding complimenting Brendan on being my security buddy, but just having anyone else with you, it felt no, so much yeah. better. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's totally a reason there's a buddy system. Buddy system is by far the safest thing you can do when you're going out places. So when we arrived, you had no idea what really to expect. What was it like for you when I pulled into the spot and said, hey, here we are? Well, you had told me this similar story um, before we went out there, or actually on the way out there. So I was kind of just like, okay, I can see what you're talking about, this creepy highway with nothing on it, and we're driving out to the middle of nowhere. and Signs saying, hey, this road is not maintained. Travel at your own risk. Like right, that. and we just passed an exit where the last road was called Skull Valley something. So, yeah, <laughs> um, definitely some, you know, oh, where are we going? Okay. But I was excited, though. I was uh, really looking forward to see what the Salt Flats had to offer because I've been to the Salt Flats before during the daytime, and it's super flat, really white. It's all actual salt. It's just a really cool place. But that was quite a, that, that's the Bonneville Salt Flats. But that's quite a bit further from where we were. Um, so when we pulled up and I saw, oh, it's sandy, sand dunes and stuff like that. Okay. Um, that was pretty cool. And I like sand dunes. I like to, you know, play around in the sand. It's fine. I had on just my jeans and my heavy coat and maybe a fleece underneath. And luckily I brought my beanie and my gloves because it was actually pretty chilly out there. It was cool. It was cool getting out there. It was super dark. I was not really prepared for like an actual dark, dark sight, which is actually pretty cool because after your eyes adjust, it's pretty awesome to see what your eyes can see. And that was like, I think my first real time seeing uh, a light, so much light coming from the night sky. It was pretty cool. In terms of color scale, if you look at the Bortle scale that talks about light pollution and you go to darksightfinder.com to check these locations out that we've been, our two locations of astrophotography so far have been Strawberry Reservoir, where you're in a lighter blue version of purple, mm-hmm. or this area that is at the edge of all color outside of it. It's not the black color, it's the gray. It's the gray where you can see the that it's outside of light pollution, but it's not the darkest, darkest sky possible. So this mm-hmm. was actually one of the best like, best locations that we could go to see more stars, more deep sky objects. And so you could, could you actually tell the difference in the sky than it was at Strawberry? Oh, yeah. I mean, it looked almost twice as bright here. Even though I could see some lights out in the distance, it was super bright out in the, in the sky. I found myself taking time away from capturing my panorama shot by looking up just behind me and enjoying the fact that I'm in a location where I'm seeing stars that I wouldn't have seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and have our last break. And when we come back, we'll recap what went well and also talk about what didn't work out, what wasn't working out for our shots. And then we'll have gear time with Brendan and we'll do a tip of the week. Welcome back to the last segment of our Photog Adventures podcast. 
Thank you for listening this far and joining us. We are going to talk now about what could have gone better, what went well, and just recap how the images we captured that night were useful, how they ended up, and everything that didn't go well. We're going to talk about that. The panorama went so well. Even if I got the other lens to work, I couldn't have had the entire arch without taking a panorama, and I'm loving this panorama. Yeah, I do too. And it doesn't even have any processing done to it, mm. and it's that clear. You can tell where the Milky Way is easily. If I did a little bit more processing and dodging and burning to bring that Milky Way out, but it doesn't need it. I mean, you're looking at it right now too, Brandon. Can you tell, mm -hmm. obviously, how contrasty it is against the rest of the sky? Yeah, actually, it's really, really nice. It's like a good detail. And this is a picture I took at 1600 ISO. And this 1600 ISO shows exactly how dark of a sky side it was because I usually don't get this kind of detail in my sky and these many stars without having a higher ISO. So I was so happy about this area. I ended up using my Canon 70D and my Rokinon 24mm, which is roughly 30-something millimeter in this telephoto version of what a crop sensor does to lenses. And I had to stitch 37 images to get this shot. Mm. 37 images to capture the full arch above, the detail of the galactic core area on the horizon, the horizon of the, for of the foreground, and then the closer foreground to us. And... I am so happy with the Lightroom software. The stitch of 37 images took about 35 minutes, 40 minutes to do. When I came back and saw this, I cheered. I cheered. I couldn't believe how perfect it ended up and how well it stitches without any in input from me. I, the Milky Way moves. And so to have this stitch turn out the way it did, I was so excited. Well, and it was the old, these are all raw files too, right? Yeah, all raws. So, so thirty-seven that's a lot raws. Of processing. That's a <laughs> lot of processing. Exactly. So, what went well for you, Brendan, on your shots? Well, for me, this night was also exciting for me in, in another aspect that you know I want to go out there and see what the salt flats are like. But I also had ordered a new used lens for myself too. It was a the Canon seventeen to thirty-five, two point eight. L lens. And so I was so excited to have um, another piece of L glass and one specifically for getting landscapes and nighttime shots because 2.8 is fast enough to get, let the light come in. And I was really stoked to, to get out there and, and try this thing out. Um, so just having that on board, um, I think went well on the fact that, you know, 17 millimeters on a full frame, was super wide i couldn't believe how much like landscaping was letting in the frame it was just crazy so um i just had a lot of fun you know getting getting used to that and trying it out for the first time and just being excited to use something new and to see the results i was getting and you know that was just uh yeah i think i think that went well for me and the, and the fact that i you know i don't know i was excited to try something new and it was kind of cool being there and trying it trying it it was something that having a dark, crisp sky like this and having no clouds, I mean, not to mention what went well. I mean, no mm. clouds. We don't have any clouds in this shot anywhere. Yeah, super clear. Nice. You felt like you couldn't go wrong. Just point it up there and capture something. I mean, we're even seeing the Andromeda Galaxy showing up in our images on the very end, the tail end of the Milky Way arch, and it's looking awesome. I, I, I'm so impressed by the difference a dark sky site makes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what could have gone better? 
let's start with you, Brendan. What could have gone better for you? Ooh, yeah, so that's both the good and bad thing about having a new lens is I saved it. Even though I had it for a couple of days beforehand, I saved it for that night. Like I wanted to break it in that night. And that was a mistake because <laughs> um, although I enjoyed using it, I felt like a lot of my time was wasted just playing with it and not really composing a shot. So um, I've, I don't know. I just felt kind of like a noob. So when I got home and looking at my pictures, I'm like, Really? That's all I took? Like, really? I, wow, it felt like it took more better shots than that. And I looked <laughs> through my library, and I'm like, wow, I guess I didn't. Um, man, I, and I was thinking back, like, what did, I, what did I do wrong? Oh, yeah, I saved the lens for that night, and I should have got familiar with it beforehand. I should have went out during the daytime even and played with it, and maybe even the night, you know, at home, and just shot stars from my you know, from my driveway or something like that, just to get more familiar with it. So it was both the good and bad was that lens and uh, bad decision was saving it for that night. That's a good point. I mean, honestly, I felt like I missed time the first night ha not having my equipment ready to go, but just being familiar with the equipment that you're bringing is a huge tip. Yeah. What could have gone better for me is a list of items. So let me go ahead and burn through this list real quick. First off, I needed more time. I needed to get there much earlier. What could have gone better is if we had gotten there the night before and watched the sun set and get a blue hour shot of our foreground. Having the tripod not move, capture the foreground in a blue hour, low noise, F8 type situation, we could have had an awesome foreground and then accompany it with an awesome sky. Right now, all we have is an awesome sky over a mediocre foreground. Let's be honest. There's nothing terribly close to our camera. Our foreground is the sand. Our midground are a bunch of bushes on sand. And then those knolls are mostly a midground at the bottom third of the screen. The only reason this picture is interesting is because of the Milky Way. That's a saving grace of astro astrophotography mm. is the Milky Way will carry anyone's interest through an image. But if you can accompany it with an awesome nightscape of a foreground that's clear and clean and has lit detail, oh, man, this could have been a portfolio piece. It just was almost there, a portfolio piece, but wasn't quite. The other thing that went wrong for me was that lens rental. I rented a Canon EFS 10 through 18 millimeter f4.5 to 5.6 IS STM lens. Honestly, I failed on paying attention to every detail of the, the specs of this lens. I was focusing so much on the excitement of seeing a 10 to 18 millimeter. That's a good wide angle mm -hmm. lens for a crop sensor. I could have seen so much detail. So much would have shown up inside my frame. I would have had no difficulty stitching together a panorama or maybe having a single wide angle shot, a really cool wide angle, even distorted, but cool to have distorted shot. Turns out I didn't pay attention to how fast this lens was and it's not fast at all. A 4.5 a uh, 4.5 s-stop is crazy small, and I couldn't get all the mm. light that I wanted. After a couple shots, I practically threw the thing because I realized, what a waste of a rental. I, I have this lens that can't even really capture the Milky Way in de great detail, let alone all the stars around it. Even at this dark sky site, I didn't get as much clarity and as much detail in the Milky Way as I got with that Rokinon 24mm, so it only took me one try before I went back to it. And because of it, I had to go with the panorama. Let me just jump in real fast and say that if you are going to rent something, even with a crop sensor, I would recommend the 16 to 35, which is the granddaddy of the one that I have. 
a much, much newer version. And it's, there's a version two out that just came out, like, I think last year. So even with a crop sensor, crop sensor, that's what I'd recommend is the, the 16 to 35 F2.8. I was going to ask you, how fast does that get? Is it typically F2.8? Yeah, that's an F2.8, but that's just, an, that's just, that's where you want to be. That's just as, that's as slow as you want to be for nighttime photography. If you can get a 2.0 or 1.4 or 1.2 or even, even if you're lucky enough to get a 0.9 or 0.95. I've man. never seen a 0.9 or 0.95. Is that, a, is that an existing lens? It, it does exist. It's, um, there's a 50 millimeter that's legendary. Um, <laughs> 0.095 or 0.09, I think even. So there's a couple of companies that, you know, are crazy enough. Canon made one a while back. It's an older lens, but there are some lenses, even on eBay, I looked and see, and there's some, there's some third parties making some 0.09 lenses out there for the Sony's. So now I'm thinking, hmm, want to borrow a Sony and see what this lens can do? Uh, you know, so, um, yeah, so there's options out there. So now that we've covered all the things that went well and could have gone better, let's jump into gear time with Brendan. All right, guys, welcome to gear time. Today we're going to talk about headlamps. Headlamps. You're starting to sound so, like Bob Ross. Like, we're going to go in and talk a little about headlamps. Now we're going to talk about happy headlamps. There's happy headlamps and sad headlamps. Make sure you buy yourself a happy headlamp. <laughs> sad ones will ruin your life. It's like bringing Satan from the pits of hell. I was just about to say that you're a little creepier than Bob Ross, and then you really brought it home. Good job. <laughs> a little, little church lady in there, too. Satan? Can it be Satan? Okay. Anyways. Okay, guys. Today, we're going to talk about headlamps. Get yourself a nice headlamp with a red light, too. Okay. There's lots of headlamps out there that are just plain white. Um, those are fine. If you're going to go for hiking, stuff like that. But when you're doing stuff specifically for astrophotography, the red light is kind of a must. The red lights are great if you're adjusting your gear, you're in the middle of a shoot, or you're shooting with other people. It helps your eyes adjust not so differently between the night sky and what you're focusing on and fixing with your gear or whatnot. So, um, and I want to stress headlamp specifically as well because you want your hands free for adjusting things and carrying things and fighting off wombats and knife murderers so <laughs> having a headlamp is great to have your hands free i just ordered myself a nice uh, little headlamp on ebay pick yourself a nice bright headlamp with some nice red usually most headlamps come with two red leds and one brighter at white leds so that's kind of like the the norm so that's your that's your gear time for today um when we do some video stuff, maybe you'll see me wearing mine. Awesome. Thanks for that, Brendan. So for the tip of the week, we're definitely running way over time right now. So let me go quickly through my bullet points on my tip of the week. We're talking panoramas. And when you're doing a panorama, even on my cheap Manfrotto tripod, it went very well. Even though I don't have a perfect nodal point to keep my panorama in place, thanks to the mm. stitching software of Lightroom, I didn't have to be too particular about that. All I needed to focus on were these things. Get yourself level, start off on a good level point, and use your camera in a vertical orientation. It's much easier for you to stitch on the glass where you're using the vertical orientation because you have a lot of space where you're away from those stretched corners. The stretched corners are not gonna be a part of the stitch. 
you're gonna take a picture from that 50% of your glass that's really clear and in a vertical orientation, it's much easier. I'm gonna show an example of how it turns out differently and how the stitches can fail using a vertical versus a horizontal orientation in, in the blog post around the show notes. But real quickly, the rest of my points are make sure you overlap 50%. You might feel like you're taking way too many pictures, but when you're dealing with an awesome shot that you wanna use a portfolio piece, don't go by with just a small amount of overlap. 50... Very true. The more shots, the better. Absolutely. And you can print this at a crazy scale just because mm -hmm. you've got so many DPI running into here. You're running into so many megapixels with overlapping that much, that many shots together. So yeah, that's nice. I recommend 50% in this situation, especially around the galactic core so that the stitching software has no problem matching up with the details around mm. and not having to use any of the stretched areas. But you can get away with one third if you want to be quickly. Honestly, when you have the Milky Way moving on you, a whole scene is changing, you're going to want to move as quickly as you can between each shot. Now, your sky, especially because of clouds, you're going to want to capture that beautiful Milky Way bulge, the galactic core first. Capture that first. Capture a really beauty shot of that where it's in the middle of your screen in your vertical orientation. And capture that land uh, capture that panoramic swing first so that you know you got all those nice and clear and there weren't any clouds around. Capture the sky above it and then go into your foreground. Your foreground typically is not going to move on you. Your foreground is not typically going to change. You're not going to worry about clouds ruining your foreground. So capture that in your panorama last. When you're taking your shots of the galactic core, pay attention to the planes and satellites that are coming by. Anytime your Milky Way gets crossed with one of those, it is going to be a lot of work for you on the end of post-processing, where if the plane goes anywhere else in your sky and it's just the stars, you can knock it out in seconds. Honestly, you could use the Lightroom spot removal tool and it'll look fine. Mm. You usually go mm. into Photoshop to really do a good cloning job when you're trying to fix it in the galactic core. My recommendation is just don't use an image that's got a galactic core plane. If the plane's crossing there, just take it again. No worries. You can take up to two without ruining your shot. And trust Lightroom stitching or whatever software you use to find the overlapping images. Despite the fact that the Milky Way is moving, it is going to pull everything back and overlap and underlap the way it needs to to get your shot matching with the foreground and all come together awesomely. Hmm. The last bit of this advice is going to be take a bunch of more headroom than you really need, a lot more room on the right and left of what you need, and a lot more room on the bottom of what you need. That way when you crop, you can crop your composition away from all the stretch frames, plus make sure you don't miss it. When you're going through 37 pictures and you're going shot, 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 and then going back and shot, 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 or working your way back like an S, one down, this way, I'll go down. You'll lose track of where and how far you went right or left. So just go crazy on the right and left extra so that you know you have everything in there and you'll have a great panorama. All those things I put into practice on this panorama that worked fantastic. Before this one, I thought that I didn't have a good camera or equipment to do a panorama, but I was totally wrong. The stitching software worked great. I carried through with a cheap tripod and it still went fantastic. And so trust in your panorama by giving it plenty of space to work with and 50% overlap, you can't go wrong. I'm gonna sing a song now about Trust Your Pano called Trust Your Pano. <laughs> and you can't go wrong. You can get that song and many others from Brendan Porter on our CDs on iTunes, so make sure you pay attention to that album we coming out. And with CDs. the holidays, you can enjoy the Christmas with Brendan. 
CDs that people are going to throw away because they don't use CDs anymore. <laughs> like always, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you coming along for the ride and joining us on YouTube. When you see our videos there, please like and subscribe so we know you enjoy the content and we'll keep it coming out every week. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining like us. Like and subscribe. Thanks, Brendan, for joining me tonight. Thank you. And as always, get out there as much as you possibly can and get an adventure with your camera. Don't waste time. Don't waste your weekends and go out and have a photog adventure of your own. Yeah, have fun, guys. Catch you guys next time. See you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>